and you can have a seat. In a small group that I meet with, each week we take a couple of articles from some magazine and allow those to challenge our thinking and help us to, to grow in our faith. And this week we read an article from Christianity Today that was all about self-help books. And I chose that article because it's the beginning of the year, we're thinking about, okay, what in my life needs to change and maybe you set resolutions, all that stuff is going on. And some people will choose to read a book that should help them change as a part of reading through that book and and you know self-help books can be a good thing and they usually promise on the back cover that it's not only going to be good it's going to be life-changing right and sometimes they do change us a little bit but sometimes it feels like maybe they overpromise. and they can also make us feel like if we don't have the change that's promised it's our fault right we didn't do it right. And so we have this sense that we should change and then the frustration that we can't. Now, this article was really about how does our faith speak into how we read and maybe whether we should read books that are in that self-help group that you find in the bookstore. And one of the real issues there is that it is good for us to take responsibility, right? We need to do that. It's good for us to find the areas in our lives that should change for us to be better people. All that's good. But the one thing that's missing from a lot of those books is that we believe that the Spirit of God is at work in us. So all the change that takes place is not necessarily just up to me, but me working with God and allowing God to work on me. So. Maybe we read those a little different as Christians than other people do, although, again, it can be a good thing to read those books. Now, the, the question really is, what is God at work doing in my life? I mean, maybe I've identified things that really need to change about who I am and the way I'm living my life, but, but are those the things that God's at work doing? And, and I think if we read through Scripture and read through the way that God is at work in the world and in the lives of the people that we read about in the Bible, sometimes God is at work in deeper, more powerful, and, and, and changing us in ways that we don't expect and maybe at times don't even want. More than maybe a couple things that we might identify that need to be changed. And so as we begin this new year, together studying God's Word, I want us to start with this series that I'm calling First Things First. And we're going to be thinking about how God is at work changing us and making us into the people He wants us to be, redeeming us from all the brokenness that we feel and the brokenness maybe we've created in our own lives. So what does that look like? Now, to be honest, I think there are times when we have to plead a little ignorance in that because maybe we're not completely sure what God is doing in our lives. But I think when we look in Scripture, we can find some things that we do know for sure that God wants for us and ways that God is at work by, by seeing how God is at work in the Bible. Now, to do that, I want us to look at sort of a narrow bandwidth of Scripture, if you will. We're going to look at just the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you find the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if you know Matthew has 28 chapters, you can easily see, hey, this is pretty close to the beginning. And in fact, this teaching launches the teaching ministry of Jesus. Okay? There's no miracles in this story. There's no Jesus going anywhere. It's just Jesus speaking to the same group of people on top of a mountain for three whole chapters. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse. We're not going to cover the whole thing. We're just going to pick and choose. So let me encourage you. Read the Sermon on the Mount. 
Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over this week or the next couple of weeks and allow these teachings to sink into you. And what you'll find is that part of what Jesus is doing is he's telling us what the kingdom of God looks like. Now that's a lot of what Jesus does throughout the Gospels, especially if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he's saying this is what the kingdom of God, or sometimes especially in Matthew, he calls the kingdom of heaven. This is how it works. Now, when we hear that, when we hear kingdom of heaven, for a lot of us, what comes to mind is, okay, I'm going to die, Jesus is going to come back, and then I'm going to go to heaven. So when Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of heaven, he's telling us what's going to happen at the very end and then for eternity. But I don't really think that's what Jesus is saying. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, what he is talking about is God's reign on earth through Jesus now. It all began with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So when we hear Jesus say, and he says this frequently, the kingdom of heaven is like... And then he'll speak something. And maybe it's a parable, a story, or maybe he just says outright, this is the way the kingdom of heaven works. We are not talking about something way off in the future. We're not there yet. Because Jesus says the kingdom of God is at work within us today. Now the truth is it's going to be fulfilled in the end, but God is at work in Jesus through us this day. So when he talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about what should happen right now. Now, to get at sort of the beginning of, of first things first and how God is at work in us, what I want us to do is look at a section that we see in Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about a subject that really I wish he wouldn't talk about because he says, do not worry. Now, the thing is, I am really good at worrying, all right? I'm an expert at worrying, and here Jesus says, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to use my ability. But he's saying, listen... It doesn't help anything, right? And worry is based on a misunderstanding of the way the world and God works. He says if we really understand the character and nature of God, that's what can help us overcome worry. So he's laying all that out and he says, look around you. God takes care of everything there is, right? We don't have to do it. He does it. When we look out in nature, we don't make the flowers sprout and we don't feed the wild animals. God is at work doing all that. And if he takes care of creation, he's going to take care of you. And this is what we find after he says that in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 31. Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, if we look back in the first century, one of the things we find is that many people, maybe most people, live in what we would call poverty. They were worried about, okay, how am I going to have enough food for me and my family today? Okay, not how am I going to go to the grocery store and buy enough food for the week or have a plan to know we're going to have food for the rest of the year, but how can we get enough food for today? So that was a different life than most of us live. Okay, I'm going to work today, get enough food to buy food for today. But what we also know is that if we look at the broader culture, what we also see is that people who lived in Roman culture sometimes used their food and what they wore to show their place in the culture, to show that they had means, that they had wealth. 
And so we have some people worried about money, worried about food, worried about clothing because they don't have enough. And then we have some people who have so much, they use those things as a sign of status. Not unlike the 21st century in some ways, okay? Jesus, I think, is speaking to both groups and saying, listen, whether you're worried about providing or you're worried about showing how great you are, don't worry about this stuff. Because God knows that you need food to eat and clothes to wear. You see, it goes back to the character and nature of God. And in fact, Jesus says, listen, don't be like the pagans, literally the Gentiles, who worry about this stuff. Well, why were they worried about this stuff? Because they had a different understanding of God or the gods. They had all these gods. If you list the number of gods and sort of semi-gods, demigods that they had, you had to please all these gods. And they really didn't care about human beings except to use them. And so pagans were constantly making all these sacrifices to their gods, hoping that no one would be mad at them. And Jesus says, we don't have to live like that. We have a God who loves us and knows what our needs are. So, don't be like those people over there. And it would have been an insult to tell a Jew that he or she was like one of the pagans. Don't be like the pagans. Because we worship this one God who created all things and knows what we need. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter in verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. This is where it gets to first things first. This is where it gets to how God brings change in our lives. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Two things here. Seek what, what God wants. What the scholars will tell us is that you didn't have to wonder what God wanted in the first century. Sometimes we think, okay, how do I know what God's will is? And maybe there's some mystical way of finding out. They didn't think about it that way. God had given all the commands, 613 of them. You knew what to do. So Jesus is saying, do God's will. Now, in another passage, when people are trying to figure out, okay, what does it mean to do God's will? How do you boil all that down into something you can live out every single day? Jesus said, well, really, it's pretty simple. The greatest commands, the central commands are this. Love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. It goes back to love God, love others. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness, what he's saying basically is love God and love others. And organize the rest of your life around those things. Because if you put the first things first, then God can be at work in your life to provide what's needed and to order your life in the right way. So the way that you spend your money and treat people and use your time and your abilities, all those things can be organized under God's priorities rather than our own priorities. First things first. God's kingdom, God's righteousness. That's what Jesus is saying here. And then he rounds it out by reminding us again not to worry. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, hey, this worry, it doesn't help. 
And you're going to have something to worry about tomorrow, and you're going to have something to worry about the day after that. So don't invite all that into your day today. Instead, deal with what you've got to deal with today and move on. Now, if you're like me when somebody says, don't worry, well, first you want to smack them. And secondly, it's like, I don't know how to do that, right? I don't even know how to turn the worry off. And what Jesus is sort of saying to us is, here's the reason you shouldn't worry. Not just, hey, don't do it, but think about who God is and think about how the worry affects you and instead deal with the things that are in front of you. His kingdom, his righteousness. Love God, love others. If you boil all that down, I'd say it this way. Focus on what matters most. As we begin this year together, Part of what we need to be reminded of is to focus on what matters most. And then when we do that, God can be at work changing us in the ways that we're talking about. God can be at work transforming us, not just a little self-help, here's an area of life I need to work on, but truly transformational change, redeeming what is broken and making us into the people that he wants us to be, not just for this year, but for eternity. That's a way bigger deal than any self-help book is going to address. And that's who God is. And that's what God wants for us. And the way we do that is to organize our lives around those simple principles, love God, and love others. Now, if we're going to let God change us in that way, and I think there's sort of this both the sense that we need to take responsibility and recognize what needs to change, and we need to allow God to change us, I think there's things that we have to sort of frame our lives with. And they're the, the characteristics of this God that we're talking about, the God that Jesus describes here in Scripture. And the first thing that we have to frame our lives with is this truth that God provides. Now, God doesn't provide everything we want, and sometimes God doesn't provide the things we want when we want them. But what Jesus is saying is, we've got to trust God to provide what's needed. And, and, and trust that what we are given is what we need at the moment. It may not be what we want, may not be what we we're expecting, but that this is a God who loves us enough to provide what's needed, both physically and spiritually. Okay, all those things. Second, we need to look at the character of God. You know, I believe that a big chunk of the Bible is not here just to tell us what's right and wrong, or even to tell us what to do, but to reveal to us, to show us the character of God. And over and over again, we're reminded that the God who created all things, the God who's described in Scripture, the God who came in the form of Jesus, is not like the gods who are described in a whole lot of the literature of the ancient world. I mean, if you read through Greek mythology and some other religions in the ancient world, there's some crazy stuff going on. Gods that really just use people for whatever they want. Entertainment as much as anything. And what Jesus is saying is, that's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who loved us so much. He created us. He sustains our lives. And then he became one of us, and he lived among us, and he taught us what life should be like. And then he went to, a went to the cross to pay the price for all the stuff we've done wrong so that he could invite us back into a relationship that would last for eternity. That's a very different picture 
of God from what we see in the rest of the culture. And it's really a different picture of God than we see around us at times today as well. So we're looking at the character of God. And then we're reminded as well that God's at work. And that contrasts with the God who just sort of created and then let things unfold. But it also reminds us that when Jesus spoke these words, the people that he was speaking to had been waiting a long time. Hundreds of years. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and he's really the last of the great prophets that we see in biblical times. And if you turn the page from the last line of Malachi to the New Testament, which is usually the next page, the first chapter of Matthew, what you find is that 400 years have passed. And these prophets have said, God's not going to just leave us the way things are. Yeah, I know things are a mess, and I know we're sort of paying the price for our sin, but God is not going to leave it this way. He's got a plan in mind, and he's going to send someone to deal with these problems. And they began to wait for God to fulfill those promises. And a hundred years passed, and another hundred years, and it went on and on. Many hundreds of years from when some of those promises were first given, but 400 from the last prophet until God began to fulfill those promises in Jesus. And so these people were waiting, and Jesus fulfilled those promises. And some of us are waiting. Some of us are waiting for God to deal with some problems that maybe have been there for years or even decades. And we're just hoping that God's going to act. And we are waiting for the kingdom of God to be fulfilled. We're waiting for Jesus to return. But in, in all this waiting, we are confident that God is not forgotten. God didn't forget the promises that he made to the people of Israel. He didn't forget the promises that he made to Abraham long before all that, that all nations would be blessed through his descendants. That wasn't fulfilled until Jesus. And so, yes, we've been waiting. Yes, we'll probably continue to wait. But even in the waiting, God is at work now through his spirit, making us into the people that God wants us to be. And so as we begin to focus on what matters most, to put first things first, so much of this is getting it right who God is and trusting this one God who loves us to redeem us, to buy us back, to deal with all of our brokenness, to take all that on and to fix it not just for this life, maybe not even for this life, but for eternity. So as we get started with this year, the place we have to begin, the first thing that needs to be at the top of the list is not deal with whatever problem I've got or way I need to discipline myself, but to get the priorities straight and then allow God to make that transformational change that comes from loving God and loving others. Let's pray together. Now, we can look in our lives and we, we see the stuff that's messed up. We know. And sometimes it's tempting to find a quick fix for some of those things. But God, what, what we really need is for you to be at work. 
And God, we own the stuff that we've done wrong. We own the stuff that's messed up. But we just pray that through your spirit, you will help us to see the right path. To put the first things first. To focus on loving you and loving others. God, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to continue to worship. Thank you.